And uh, when I think about that, I think about uh, the reason, one of the reasons that I first began to study and to look and to ask the questions of, well, what would Jesus have to say about a particular situation? And for me, it came down to how would Christ address the, the problems that I was facing early on in my life with my family? Uh, not to share too much, but, you know, I come from a family where addiction was a very real thing, where uh, they had a lot of dysfunction, a lot of problems. And um, I was beginning to ask those questions of, well, as I get older, as I begin to start my own family, how do I keep that from reoccurring? How do I put an end to that? Because I didn't want to have to uh, deal with a situation where I was facing a uh, similar event. And maybe that's the case for you. Maybe one of the reasons you're here today is you are dealing with some kind of family matter, some kind of relationship in your life that's strained or stressed or broken. And uh, the other reality is that we're in that time of year where we're about to have to deal with all of our families, right? Uh, we're into the holiday season where we get together and we uh, interact with them. And usually it's a joyful thing. Sometimes it can be quite stressful. And so I like to, to pause this time of year and this week and next we'll look at that question of, well, how do we even begin to uh, speak with them, those people that we have problems with, or how do we deal with conflict or, or anger or, or whatever the case might be, some painful part of our past. Uh, because the, the beauty and the wonder of the gospel is that Jesus Christ is able to heal all things, fix all things, mend all things, bring restoration to even the most broken and devastated relationships in our lives. And I'm not just saying that from a standpoint of, um, oh gosh, it would be nice. I'm just saying it from a standpoint of, I've seen it happen. I've, I've seen it at work and, and probably some of y'all have as well. So when you think about uh, your family, um, just some fun things that I, I always remember about my family is that you know so many of our relationships uh, that we have with our family are ones that are seem to be fixed and set uh, early on in our lives. That it's very hard to change those relationships once they have been set in a certain way, once you have lived in a certain pattern of your relationships, it's very hard to shift them and move them around, isn't it? That even people that you see once a year, uh, they still kind of think about you and you relate to them in a particular way that probably you learned early on in life, right? Here, I'll just give you a quick example. Growing up, uh, my job as a kid, uh, when we were preparing meals, was to make the salad. Any of y'all have a similar job like that when it came to family meal time? Maybe you were in charge of the ice. I don't know what your job was. Uh, mine was to uh, fix the salad. And uh, it was hilarious to me that even after I had moved out of my house, gone to college, gotten a job, uh, that when I returned home, my job when I got back to the family meal with my family over Thanksgiving was to make the salad, right? I had learned other skills. I was aware of how to make macaroni and cheese and do other things, but that was my, my job. And uh, when it comes to family, we, we tend to find the same thing happens, don't we? That those relationships, the way that we interact with each other kind of gets stuck in a particular way of doing things and it's very hard to to move them. We might even get to a place where we think, oh, that, that'll never happen, that'll never change, it'll always be this way, it'll always be this messed up, or, or whatever the case might be, that we, we tend to get stuck in those particular patterns, and getting those moved around or changing them is, is not easy work in any shape or form. And so uh, that's one of the things that I've, I've found about families, and the, uh, 
The other thing that I have found is that um, it's a generational thing. Uh, like I said early on in my sermon, one of my reasons for wanting to become more aware of who Christ was and what he taught was a, an attempt at trying to change things from generation to generation. I didn't want to see the mistakes of my father and my grandfather or whoever uh, be given over to my kids. And, and so I've, I've worked very hard at, at trying to do that. Occasionally, you know, I'll say to myself, well, how did that happen again, right? Uh, because I'll think to myself, well, I thought we had fixed that or we thought we had changed that. And that we have that reality of, um, you know, there's things that we do that our kids are going to learn whether we teach them or not. Yesterday I was talking with my wife and we were discussing one of the decorations we we're going to add to our kitchen. And I said, well, what about a chalkboard? Maybe we could add a chalkboard. We could do inspirational things. We could add the weekly menu. We could draw pictures, whatever the case might be. Could we just maybe do that? And uh, she said, well, that seems like a good idea. Let's do that. And she said, but be warned, Rick. Be warned that sooner or later, one of your children is going to write something silly on the board. And that more than just silly, it'll probably be snarky or sarcastic and probably borderline inappropriate. And she said, and remember, Rick, they did not get that from me. <laughs> right? And so we, we do have to recognize and say, you know, things are, are hard because they get rooted early on and that it's very hard to change the course of our family if they're headed in a particular generation direction, right? Once things are set, once they're moving in a particular way, it's very hard for us to, to move or change those things. And so what I wanted to, to address was, well, how do you fix that? How do you change that? And like I said, I, I looked early on at the teachings of Jesus, and man, he gives a master course in Matthew chapter 5 through 7 on the Sermon on the Mount, and he lays it out for you, and he says, this, this is how you can see the world change and move, and how you can begin to be a part of what God is doing in the world. And you know it is a Sermon on the Mount, and he talks about, he says, you can be a, a city on a hill, you're going to be the light and the salt of the earth. And then he goes on and he says, and here's how you'll do it. You know, when, when somebody offends you, you need to forgive them. When somebody is being uh, aggressive with you, you need to find peaceful measures and ways to deal with them. He says that if somebody is in need, then, then by all means help them if you can. And he just lays for us out this beautiful plan, this wonderful plan of how to change the, the world around us. And if you pay careful attention, and if you look at it, you begin to see that Jesus is not only a masterful teacher, but he is a genius because all those teachings and all those words, they're geared to doing one thing, and that's what? Changing our hearts and the way that you and I live. That rather than going out and saying, you have a plank in your eye, what does Jesus say? Look at the, spe you know, look at the, <laughs> we'll switch that around. Rather than looking at the, the, the log in other people's eyes, you say, you know, okay, I'm going to get it right one of these days. <laughs> you know, walk over here. I'm better over here. Rather than looking at the speck in your neighbor's eye, you remove the log from your own. So, it would be amazing, wouldn't it, if we could push the pause button and freeze time and say, I'm, this is the day that I'm going to have enough time to do the things that Jesus called me to do in the way that Jesus called me to do them in the, in the time frame that he wanted them to be done. But the reality is it's like that Viewmaster movie where things are just moving along. It's like the, being in a canoe. You can't really stop the river from moving you forward. You can only direct it or aim it in a particular way. And uh, the passage that I want to share with you 
may seem like a weird one to pick, but it, it is so wonderful because it, it happens in time. Right before the passage I'm about to read for you, Jesus feeds the, the thousands of people with just a couple loaves of bread and fish. And then right after this passage, Jesus meets his disciples in the midst of a storm. And I don't know about you, but I kind of think about life in that way. I look back on my life and I say, God has done the amazing, done the miraculous, done the things that I never thought possible. And yet I also look forward and ask the questions of, well, what's next? What's looming? What's coming my way? Right? And in the midst of that, in between, Jesus does something that's, that's crucial to how you and I live our lives. And in Matthew chapter 14, verse 22, he says, Right then, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead to the other side of the lake while he dismissed the crowds. When he sent them away, he went up onto the mountain by himself to pray. Evening came and he was alone. And so when we see in the meantime, in the time between him rejoicing and celebrating what God has done and looking forward to what is next, where does Jesus spend his time? He prays, right? And if you want to argue with me about who Jesus was, one thing you can't deny is the fact that he was a, a person that took his prayer life very seriously. When he was going to pick his disciples, he prayed about it. Uh, when he was going to heal or to help, he prayed about those things as well. He talked to God about what was going on. He sought God out. He looked for what God was doing. And he said, you know, I, I don't do anything apart from what I see God doing. You know, he, he had that deep connection, that deep prayer life. And uh, I think it's remarkable that when you look at the disciples, what were the things that they specifically asked Jesus for or asked him to do? One of the things they specifically said was, Lord, teach us to pray. And it makes me think that there was something so profound about Jesus' prayer life and so amazing about his prayer life that they just had to know. They had to say, how do we do this? How do we become a part of this? And uh, you think about what happens next. You know, they're in the storm, and, and Jesus, what cracks me up most about that particular passage is that Jesus knows what's about to happen, you know, and he sends them out into the storm, and he says, y'all are going to face something. I'm going to go pray. And then while they're in the midst of it, and they're scared, and they're afraid, Jesus walks out to them, and he calls them, and and Peter steps out of the boat, you know, and y'all probably know the rest of the story, but just to take a moment and say, you know, if you desire to see God at work, if you desire to see the world change, and you're like me, and you say, man, it just, it's got to get better, things have got to improve in our world, then what I want to convince you of is that it all begins with how you pray and how you practice that prayer life. And I want to go ahead and just assume that many of you uh, do not pray on a regular basis, that it's not something that you practice. Many times people really even struggle with the idea of what would that look like? You know, how would you even begin to, to pray in the way that Jesus taught his disciples to pray? And like I said, Jesus gives a master class on it in Matthew chapter 6, and he says, don't pray like the hypocrites. He's saying, you know, your prayer life is something that you do so that you can communicate with God. It's not a matter of doing it so that you can impress other people or that you can do it in a showy way that other people will think, ah, they are so holy, right? But rather that it's something that's supposed to uh, give you the opportunity to talk and to be with God. And if you're beginning prayer, uh, if you're just starting out, 
it may seem like kind of a, a silly enterprise, like something that you're not really sure what to do about it. It may be that you pray, you know, maybe you begin with the Lord's Prayer and you work your way through the prayer and then you say, okay, what's next? And, and nothing really happens. And what I want to encourage you to do is just to, to stay in that habit, whether it be early in the morning before your kids are up or maybe late at night after they, everybody has gone to sleep or, or maybe it's just the fact that you'd be like one of my friends and the only place that she could ever pray because she had three little kids was in her bathroom and it was the only room in the house that had a good lock, right? And she would go and she would pray there, you know. Uh, whatever the case might be, to have a daily place that you go and you seek God out and you, and you pray and you talk to God about what's going on in your life and, and see how things are going with God and listen for God's voice. Why do you got to get away? Why is it that it's so important to step away from other people? It's so that you can hear, begin to understand what God's voice sounds like in your life. You think about your parents or your kids, you know, you could, you could pick their voice out of a crowd, no problem. And what you're trying to develop each and every day in your prayer life is being able to say, okay, that's what God sounds like. When you read the scriptures, and you're just like, that's, that's what Christ would say in this moment, in this time, so that you can hear it in the midst of your life as time goes on, and you can hear what God has to say to you. And let it be a, a regular thing. Um, one of the things I think about with, with prayer and, and having a regular time if you have uh, kids that are no longer in your household, I'll give you a, a great tip about how to uh, get them to call you. That seems to be a common problem. How do you get your kids to call you? And um, I'll, I'll give you how my dad successfully gets me to call him about once a week. He, uh, he sends me an agenda, right? I kid you not. Uh, before text messaging, he would call me on a Thursday and say, hey, tomorrow, 10 o'clock, we're going to talk. And then he'd hang up. And now that we have text messages, my dad sends me a text on Thursday, and he says, Rick, you're going to call me tomorrow. Three things, the Alabama game, New Orleans Saints game, and then your sister. You know, that's <laughs> usually something like that. And, and, and since I, you know, went to college, he pretty much had, it on, had me on a weekly basis. He would say, okay, we're going to talk on this day, and then uh, he would call me. And now, even when I miss, on like a Friday is usually when he talks to me, and and when we call, even if he misses that, he'll send me another text afterwards. He's like, you didn't call. You owe me next week, Friday, you know. And uh, what it does is that there's sometimes, just like your prayer life, there's going to be times where you don't have a lot to talk about. And there's going to be times where your conversation with God is rich and powerful and, and amazing. But the main thing is to set up that time, that space on a daily basis where you can make room for God. To put it in another way, um, there was a guy in East Texas about 20 years ago, and he won the uh, Publishers Clearinghouse. Y'all y'all know about that? It's like hitting the lotto. He made millions of dollars. And um, you know how he successfully won it? He sent back the form and entered the game, right? And when we think about our prayer life, I think it's a similar thing, that if we're not taking time to spend with God, to give God the opportunity to speak into our lives, then we really can't really expect that much, right? And like I said, it can be amazing. Sometimes it's, we don't really get a whole lot out of our prayer time, but the main thing is to be there with God and to listen for what he has to say to us. Um, when we uh, think about why this matters so much that we, we spend time with God, it's so we can hear his voice, that so we can listen to how he sounds in our lives. 
The other thing that I want to encourage you to do and to think about is how do you integrate your prayer life into other parts of your day? Uh, rather than it just being a few moments early in the morning or late at night, how do you integrate it throughout your day? And uh, many of y'all are too young to know about this, but there used to be a comic strip called Blondie. Uh, comic strips are uh, like uh, memes that they put in the paper, okay? And uh, they, Blondie was one of the longest running ones, and the author of Blondie once was interviewed, and they said, why was it so successful? Why did it last so long? And he said, well, it's because I only write about three things. And he said it was uh, working, eating, and raising family. And if you think about the Blondie comic strips, you know, that's pretty much all he ever wrote about. And when you think about your prayer life, those are the times that I really want you to focus in on when it comes to how do you integrate prayer? How do you make prayer a, a part of your life? Well, working, eating, and raising your family. That um, early on, there was a group of Christians, the Celtic community, and uh, what was so beautiful about them was that they had prayers for specific parts of their lives. Uh, they had a prayer for laying your child down at night to go to sleep. They had a prayer for, for making bread, uh, that you would knead the dough, you would pray to God, and you would lift God up. And they had prayers for uh, just about everything. And the whole idea was that God was continuing to work in your life, even in the times of your life that seemed routine, that seemed mundane, that God was present in your life. And so it may be that the way that you integrate prayer into your life on a more regular basis is you begin to have prayers for your work time, you know, have prayers for your, your eating and your meal times as well, that you're inviting God's presence into your life and that you're reminding your family and the people around you that God is present. You know, it may be that you've got some chores that you hate, right? I mean, it may be that you need to sit down and write out a prayer for taking out the trash, changing out the cat litter. I don't know. Whatever the case might be, that you find ways in which you integrate prayer into your daily life. And why, why does it matter so much? I mean, when you think about it, and well, uh, it matters so much because we worship a God that desires and, and hopes that we can have a, a beautiful and wonderful relationship with Him, that we have a God that wants to lead and guide our lives, that can do amazing things that we never thought possible, a God that will answer our prayers in mighty and powerful ways. I mean, what, what it all comes down to for me when it comes to prayer life and what do I see work and, and building in those habits and integrating in our life is just one simple question. Do you believe that God can do all things? If you believe that God can do all things, then you're going to take a time and each and every day and, and lift up to Him the things that matter most to you. Do you believe that God can do all things? I mean, I think every Christian should have that one prayer that when people hear what they're praying about, they say, that person must be smoking crack. That is impossible. I think we should all have that kind of prayer, at least one of those prayers in our lives that we are lifting up to God and saying, I don't know how you would do this. I don't know how it would be possible. I see no way that it's even close to likely, but Lord, I believe that you can do all things. And so each and every day, I'm going to lift that up to you. I'm going to trust you with it, and I'm going to believe that it's going to happen because you are the one that can fix my family. You are the one that can fix my world. You are the one that has promised all these things are possible through you. And to trust him each and every day with that. Will you pray with me?